hard to make a plan when, when you're getting, you know, minor league salary and stuff like that. So that's always been a grind out for me, but for her as well, because it's hard to count on uh, on your boyfriend or your husband now that, that he gets, you know, less than $2,000 a month. We baseball players, most of us, like, understand that grind, and they always try to help each other. That's something that I've always admired about baseball players is that we all, we all admire um, each other's grind. So let's say Desmond Jennings, uh, we went out uh, on the day off and Desmond Jennings picked up everything. He actually motivates me to see someone like Paul or, or, or Bradford or, or TJ that, that we all sign for a thousand bucks. You know, that if you just do it in a way, uh, you, get it, you get the job done, next thing you know, you're one of them. My name is Tim Hyman, and this is Beyond the Slash Line, a podcast where we explore the personal lives of minor league baseball players. Our guest in this episode is Jorge Carrillo. After six years of climbing the ladder in the Mets organization, he is now the primary catcher at AAA, a level where one promotion can turn a player's salary from $2,000 a month into more than $3,000 a day. Buoyed by money he's earned playing winter ball in Mexico, Carrillo enters the final year of his entry-level contract looking to prove his worth while balancing commitments to his wife and son and the hopes and dreams of his family as they follow his every move. This is Jorge's story. Enjoy. We welcome you to the Beyond the Slash Line podcast, and we are happy to be joined remotely from lovely Las Vegas, former Binghamton Mets catcher and now Las Vegas 51s catcher, Jorge Correa. Jorge, how are things out west? It's good, man. I think it's a little better weather than what you guys got over there at the East Coast right now. <laughs> we always sort of um, set these podcast interviews up uh, by getting uh, really down to basics and, and getting into the personal story for each player before they even maybe play professionally or even got introduced to baseball. And I think your story is fascinating. You were born in Mexico, moved to the United States, attended high school in the U.S., and then eventually climbed the ladder, got drafted by a couple of different teams before landing with the New York Mets. So we always leave this off with uh, this open-ended catch us up to speed. You know, if you could start from the beginning from Mexico, uh, what is the, the backstory of Jorge Correa? Well, I mean, I actually come from a, a, a basketball family in a way. My, my dad was a big, he was a very good basketball player, represented Mexico and everything. And uh, so I always grew up uh, playing basketball and baseball, you know, and organized teams uh, since I was four. But uh, obviously growing up in Mexico, soccer is a big influence as well. So soccer is always playing on the streets and stuff like that. So there's a lot of sports going around. And uh, But even though my dad was a basketball player, uh, he always pushed for baseball for some reason. He really loved baseball. And we just stuck by it. I remember... I don't remember this, but he tells this story all the time. Uh, which, by the way, that the, the the head coach of this story when I was four uh, just appeared like last last year on Facebook and contacted me. So that was pretty cool after the baseball classic. Uh, this guy, like my dad, took me to this this guy's team and he put me in the outfield. And I was four at the time, and and it was just you know I got bored playing with dirt and stuff like that. Uh, and as I told my dad, I didn't want to come anymore. So my dad uh, told the, the head coach, and the head coach said, no, bring him back. Um, I'm going to find him a better position. I liked what I saw, he said. So then he brought me back next week, and he puts me behind the plate. And, you know, I literally haven't moved since. So, um, and then this coach, you know, there's been years since I've seen this guy or talked to this guy, and he appeared on Facebook last year. He found me, and you know, uh, while I was at the baseball classic a few months ago. So that was pretty cool. Um, but, um, you know, that was fun with the baseball story. Uh, like I said, basketball was all around and, and just kept it going, man. Kept it going, kept playing both of them. I was always a sport guy and, and liked all of it. Um, uh, played in a few soccer teams, but not, nothing to it. was just like people from the neighborhood and, and just kept climbing the ladder, moved to the States when I was, when we were 15. I started in San Diego for the first few months, and it just got too tough crossing the border every day, uh, not getting any sleep and stuff like that for any of us. And so the opportunity to come to Arizona 
uh, showing up. So we took advantage of it, went to Arizona and to Tempe. Uh, decided to, you know, got into high school and uh, I was lucky enough to go to a, a without knowing, you know, just landed in a good in a good high school where they had a pretty good team, decent team and uh uh more than anything a very good head coach. You know, I mean I owe a lot to Coach Bull, Harold Bull to uh that he was my coach in, in high school and as a freshman he gave me the opportunity. I mean I couldn't even speak the language literally and I was playing, you know, I was catching for the varsity level and and that was that was cool because that was a very it was a learning experience. He let me call my own game, you know, as a as a freshman, and and he taught me a lot. You know, obviously I made some mistakes. He gave me ideas and all that stuff. So I started calling my own games and since uh, freshman in high school, and that that really helped my career a lot because now it's one of the strongest parts of my game. And I can say that you know maybe I had a little a little earlier uh, burst than anyone else. So. And that helped a lot too. So after that, you know, I had a we won state championship in my senior year, so that was pretty cool. Um, JUCO for two years, went to Central Arizona College, made it to the JUCO World Series, lost the national championship my first year, and uh, my second year we lost the Super Regionals to Southern Nevada, um, or Western Nevada, sorry. And then uh, I moved over to Arizona State. Uh, First year, went to the College War Series. Second year, lost in Super Regionals against Texas. So, um, and then got drafted. And you know, so I think that story is more known by everybody. But it was pretty cool that you know I've been lucky enough to win and on very good teams, very good coaches that have pushed me through my career more than anything. Uh, winning teams, because you know, it's always fun. It's always more fun to play this game when you're winning. And Jorge, you talk about, if I remember correctly, your father worked in the States while your family still lived in Mexico. And you just mentioned going back and forth across the border. How challenging was that as a preteen to almost have your feet in both cultures being immersed in the, the States while also being immersed in the Mexican culture? Well, at the beginning, it was uh, it was just my dad working. He, my dad has worked in the States since he was 25, so... Uh, he always crossed the border back and forth, and just happened that you know since 9/11 the lines got real long and 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 a lot more you know it took a lot more time to let people in. So that really got you know it, it wasn't that hard before to get by, and so it was tough at first, and and because of my dad going back and forth. But I mean the the culture I've always had the. Mexican culture up until uh, plus living in Tijuana, it's it's right out, right across the border. So I, I believe we're very uh, Americanized in a way. So it's not that big of a change, but obviously the language and all that stuff that's you know something that is big. But uh, going back and forth from from the cultures, I think I mean I was I was, I was pretty open. I've been I've always been pretty an open book, open minded, and 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 it, I wanted to know both sides and. You know, I felt like I was I was privileged to have, in a way, to pick one that I wanted. You know, even if I wanted to combine a couple of both, which I think that's what I kind of like to do, and whatever works for my advantage is, is kind of the way I look at it. And I always did it like that, so it was pretty cool to 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 get to experience both sides of the of the ball. So here you are, 15 years old. You moved to the states. Admittedly, you barely speak. English. How long did it take you to finally feel like you were really comfortable and at home in the new country? Uh, when I first moved, I mean, uh, luckily, in a way, I mean, it was it was a high school where it was pretty. There was a good amount of Mexicans and and Latin people, but obviously, it was. I think it was still more uh, Caucasian people than anybody. So that that kind of helped a little bit because. I remember my first day or my first PE class. I figured out the words to 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 ask who was the head coach of the of the baseball field, of the baseball team, and I happened to ask like the hitting coach, and also he's like, "Well, it's me." And then you know he showed me, and and at this time it was November, and he's like, "Yeah, we're kind of going out there right now just to hang out and and get a couple swings or whatever." So. 
uh, the whole team was pretty much, there was no Mexicans or Latin people on the team at the beginning. So, and that was kind of like my plan at first that I didn't want to be hanging out with any people that talk in uh, Spanish just because I wouldn't, you know, I would never learn the language if I never practiced it. So, um, that helped, you know, that most of the baseball team were all Americans and, and didn't talk any, any Spanish. Obviously, I, I struggle, but I mean, I think you kind of know my personality. It's just kind of like I'm always trying to mess around and play around and whatever. So uh, they they thought, you know, they were trying to like make fun of me or whatever. I just play around with it, and and and, and that's how I learned. You know, that's how I learned, and and I think it took me exactly one year to feel comfortable with the language. Uh, I mean, up until this point, you're still learning a couple words here and there, but. Uh, I think it took me about a year to to feel comfortable and and to be able to take uh, normal classes and stuff like that, not bilingual classes or anything like that. And um, so that really helped. I mean, it, it it had its negatives as well because you know a bunch of all the the the, the Mexican people and stuff like that they weren't a big fan of me because you know I wouldn't hang out with them. I was hanging out with the, the whites, I guess, in a way. And but you know, I didn't pay much attention to that. I was I was just concentrating on baseball and, and school, and 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 ended up being you know, I built some some really good friendships. You know, I got probably four of my best friends right now. Um, they all went to my wedding in Mexico, and you know, they were literally the only white people in the wedding. <laughs> so it was uh, it was cool, I man. We I built some great relationships, and and we still you know we still stay in contact with most of them, and. And it was some great group of guys that uh, that I was around, and we were able to win all the time. It would have been really easy for you to just surround yourself with like-minded guys from similar backgrounds. I think for most people that would have been the easy way, but it seems like you went out of your way to put yourself immersed in that different culture to to learn the language. Was there someone in particular that encouraged you to do that, or was that your own thought process? To be honest, I think it was just my own stuff right here because I've, I've read some stuff and I've heard some stuff before going in that uh, the way to learn the, a language or a new language was to practice it. So, I mean, you could write it on the book or you could read it or you could listen to it, but to practice, to talk and stuff like that. And, and more than anything, just to have like an open mind in a way or or just be careless, you know what I'm saying? Because if you worry about like what people are going to say, what people are going to make fun of you, I kind of just kind of went along with it, you know, just went along with it. People will make fun of me and stuff like that, or or just not make fun, but like play around with me, you know what I'm saying? Like, and they knew I wasn't going to get mad or I wasn't going to take anything serious. So, so that really helped to open everything up where I was able to speak up and 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 be able to realize what I did wrong, what I did bad, or what I said wrong in a way. And they would help me, you know. They would be like, hey, this is not how you say it. You said it like this, blah, blah, blah. And after they, they played around a little bit with me. So um, they, they had a lot to do with the, the whole baseball team, had a lot to do with it. And, and you know, I mean, that I think that was kind of my own decision because obviously I had, like you said, I had to go away from, from the easiest way to just stay with my culture or my, the people – uh, all the Mexicans around me, but um, but that's just something that that I I never you know I came to the states and I knew I wanted to learn the language because I wanted to to get drafted and and and, and I think it was till like my junior year when I when I started thinking about college would be probably a lot more fun and and, and so that's when I started you know getting more more serious and stuff like that so. Uh, but I, I believe that was just my own my own decision. And Hori, it seems like you tackled the, that transition head on. How did your how did the rest of the family deal with that move? Uh, my brother, my brother got. I mean, he's two years younger than me, and he's a little more uh, completely opposite of me. I say he's more of a quiet guy, so he keeps it all to himself and stuff like that. So I think the first year or so he was, you know, kind of quiet. Like he didn't get many friends or he had a couple of friends, but they were like Spanish speaking friends and stuff like that. So, but he was younger, so he was able to pick it up. Um, he's always been smarter, like book wise. And so that never, you know, hurt him there. 
but he's always, you know, he's always been a little quieter, but he picked it up. He picked it up, actually. He actually has a better accent than me. Uh, he speaks it a little more, you know, fluently and stuff like that. So um, he he he's always been, you know, like I said, the quiet guy, but but he's smart. He's very smart, and, and, and he picked it up just how it was, and now he's a chef. He's a chef, and, 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 and Scottsdale, a really nice restaurant, so. I think he's done pretty well for himself too, and 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 my sister. Well, my sister wasn't born yet when we moved. She was just born in 2007, and so I mean, she's got she's completely American now. She <laughs> doesn't have any of the Mexican culture. Um, but my dad, like I said, my dad's been working in the states for quite a while now. Um, my mom's still struggling a little bit. You know, that's, there's always one person that it's kind of hard to deal with it. I mean, more than anything with the language, it's just my mom is the whole opposite of me. She she cares a lot what people say. She doesn't want like she doesn't want to be made fun of or anything like that. So she's struggling with the language up mm. until now. So, um, but I mean, it's just you know that's that's the transition that that we'll make, and and uh, she's the only one that struggles a little bit. But everyone else is pretty smooth. And Hori, I know you say that you know, on the outside you were playful about it and pretty carefree, but at times was it stressful to, to try to acclimate yourself to a whole new circumstance and a whole new language? I think so. I, I think it was, yeah, it was stressful. The only person I still remember my freshman year, because I had mostly like, I had like classes where you didn't need much English in a way. It was like math or, you know, the English class that you learn or I had like PE or something like that. But then I had one class, it was art class, and and I'm not a very artistic. That's one talent that just Jorge does not have at all. I just, I cannot draw and nothing, you know what I'm saying? So I couldn't draw, and I couldn't understand the teacher. So that was that was the most frustrating part of everything uh, was that class. That was the only C I had in, in high school. Everything else was A, except for that one C. That was that's why I got my my three point eight instead of a four point zero. Is that C in our class my freshman year when I couldn't understand <laughs> the teacher? Yeah, so um, that was always you know that was the frustrating part. But after all, um, I really I really had a good mindset going into everything in that whole first year. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I had really good teachers and patient teachers that would teach us English, and they always saw that I I was kind of serious and and and, and to the point with everything. So whenever you show a teacher that, then they'll take more time to explain or, 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 or give you, you know, the extra for you and stuff like that. So that really helped. And, and so the frustration, I think it was just with our class, to be honest with you, because everything else, like I said, uh, all my friends and, and, and baseball and, and math and all that stuff, like I, I was pretty good at all that stuff. And, and it wasn't that frustrating um, to deal with. Except for that art <laughs> class that you had to draw onions and stuff like that. And I couldn't do it, man. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> I have one more when it comes to these differences, Jorge. And, and I'm, I'm sure you can go at length about this, but really from a, a surface level look, what would you say are some of the biggest differences b- between being brought up in a Mexican culture and then being brought up in an American culture? Well, I mean, nowadays, from what I've seen, you know, now that I got my little boy um it's, it's it's crazy how i don't know if it was because my parents didn't care or whatever but you could just go out and and play on the street like i could go play soccer literally all day from coming to school i would change play soccer and play you know hide and seek or play um a bunch of games that you just you know you come up with and that were not harmful or anything like that, and 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 it was more like you know what I'm saying you're just trying to hang out, and your pants were never on top of you. It was just like, okay, boom. It was like seven o'clock. They would call you, and then you go in, eat, and, and do your homework, and that was it. But um, nowadays, uh, I don't. I, I even think this is not just Mexican American culture. That's just in general. It's like kids. Kids just not even they don't they don't go out you know what I'm saying they don't hang out they don't do anything technology has kind of gotten the best of them and and so it's kind of hard to to compare American to Mexican culture in that way as in growing up but um, 
I would say uh, on values and everything like that, like everything for what I met, like the place that I moved to was pretty similar to the stuff that I had, you know what I'm saying? And, and like I said, all the, all the, the people, the baseball team, that, that all my friends that I had, um, they all had pretty similar values. They, they weren't like the, the super rich people or anything like that. It was like everything was pretty pretty similar to mine. And, and I think that's what made that transition a lot smoother was the fact that I was able to 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 run into those people and 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 help me out. You know what I'm saying? They didn't discriminate me. They didn't you know put me to the side or they didn't if they had a poker tournament or or a pool party or whatever. They didn't they they always make sure that I was invited and, and even though I was only the only Mexican, you know I'm still are in that group. You know they're all it's only me and my brother and everyone else is white and and um. So it's it's like I said it's it's pretty pretty similar in that point. Obviously, there's the language, there's the the monetary stuff where you know it's a lot more advantage over here. I mean, the house that I had over there in Tempe, it's a lot better than the house that I had in Tijuana, that's for sure. Uh, we didn't even have pavement, uh, the schools and everything. I mean, everything is obviously a lot more a lot better because of the finances and stuff. But um, so that that was that was probably the biggest change is the fact that I felt like I was I felt like I was a little millionaire, you know, moving into the states and I was able to live comfortably in a nice house and and it wasn't like you know a mansion or anything, but it was just a house that it was way better than the one I had in Mexico, had in Mexico and stuff. So um, that transition was 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 better. I felt like everything was for the better, you know. Every change, every every uh, move that we made just going to the States was going to be, everything was going to be better. So um, that made it a lot easier. I mean, it's not like I was crying because I was living in Mexico or anything like that. And, uh, so uh, we were all pretty excited and, and we all just kind of went along with it and, and faced the front, you know. Jorge is a proud Mexican and a guy that's, you know, achieving the, the dream of playing pro ball in the States and also in Mexico during the winter. How do you balance you know, showing your Mexican pride while also showing how happy you are with the new opportunity in America? Um, the first year, actually, in Mexico, I didn't realize this, but the first year when I went to play winter ball, my Spanish got really bad. You know, my Spanish got real bad. Like, I was speaking <laughs> like a, I was literally speaking like an American, but just that, that it's very advanced in Spanish, you know? And I remember, I think you can still see it I, uh, on YouTube, my very first interview, that that I had over there in Mexico, I had a pretty good month or a couple of weeks, so people were starting to know me, and and, and I had I have an interview. They actually have subtitles in the interview because <laughs> it's hard to understand in Spanish. So, um, going back to first year, I mean, it was like wow, it was kind of like a like a like a you know, it kind of like opened my eyes of like damn, like I really do did lose like the accent or because I didn't have any. Because a lot, because I was so used to just hanging out with uh, with Americans, that 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 even then, you know, uh, in college, you know, junior college, there's not a lot of Mexicans or a lot of Latin people for whatever reason. It's in Arizona State, same way, you know what I'm saying? So, so when I first and, and you know, Pro Bowl, that's that, that's when it changes. But even in Pro Bowl, like most of my friends were all Americans because I just I just got used to it, I guess, and. And it's not like I picked it. It's just who would, the ones that I got along with better. And in and, and way, in that way, I felt like I got Americanized. And then um, finally, this, uh, when I went back to Mexico in 2013, I realized how bad my Spanish had gotten. And I was like, whoa. So that's when I kind of decided to, to kind of balance it out a little bit because I knew that sooner or later I was going to, you know, get with the with the with some with the girl and, and, and build a family or something, and and I wanted to keep my my Hispanic heritage and my Hispanic culture, and I didn't want to, and I never saw myself getting married to to an American girl, um, just because you know mainly because my mom couldn't speak the, the language, and you know I always saw that as for in our in our culture, you know, of parents and and. and and the girlfriends or the boyfriends or whatever have really good relationships. And I wanted that. And I was like, I can't have an American girl when my mom can't speak to them. 
And I had a couple of American girlfriends and it just didn't work, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> my mom couldn't speak to them and stuff. So um, once I figured that out, I was like, man, I got to I gotta just kind of find a better balance in a way, especially with my, my language. I can't be speaking Spanish like that. And um, so that was, that was, that was kind of crazy, but um, I got used to being Americanized and, and I think I got a pretty good balance now that I go back and forth more and, you know, I've got four years now that I've gone over there and won a ball, played with them, and, and I'm over here still grinding it out with the New York Mets. Corey, I want to talk about uh, your wife for a little bit. We we always like to look at the personal side of, of the journey through the minor league system and all the sacrifices that go in from your end, but really when, when, you, when you look at it, there's so many behind the scenes that offer that support that doesn't show up in a box score or a stat line or anything like that. You know, how has being a married man and for, for a few years being an engaged man changed your perspective uh, of this climb through the Mets system? I mean, it's it's always nice to have somebody that, you know what I'm saying, that is there to support you. And One of the things that I liked about my wife from the beginning was the fact that she literally has no idea what baseball is. You know what I'm saying? I, I always tell this story to, to, to everybody. The very first time that, because I met her, I met her in Florida, the Florida State League. But I once I met her, uh, we hung out like a like that day, and then the next day, and we were playing in Tampa, and then he obviously had to leave, and then a couple of days later, I got the call up to Binghamton, and I just never came down. So when I met her, you know, the whole year I didn't see her until next spring training. And then finally, you know, we started dating again and stuff like that. And then she came to visit me in Binghamton for the first time. And then, like I said, she has no idea what baseball is. And and then she uh, she's a big social media guy, girl. And uh, she posted a video of me hitting. But I literally, you know, I got jammed and it was a, the weakest pop fight to second base you could hit. And she posted it and she said, my baby hit the ball <laughs> with so excited with some like a smiley face. <laughs> and I was like, what the, you, you can't put that. Like I just hit a pop fight at second base. You know, it's like, you could see me like, I didn't even run. I was so pissed off. I didn't even run. I just went straight to the dugout and I, I made that take her down like that night, you know? So, um, like, so she really has no idea. Now she does, you know, maybe she, she's got a better idea now, but no, but it's not like, you know, into that. Just she knows that I always like to hit 300, and and that I want to win the gold glove. That's what she knows, and and um, so it's it's uh it, it that helps a lot because she's not always like putting a little those little comments like oh why don't you do this or why don't you hit that or little things like that that you just don't need to hear when you go home. You just need to be kind of like out of baseball in a way, and um, she's helped me with that, and and um. Obviously, you know, with her being being a mom and stuff, so that's a little more mature in that aspect, and 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 she she helped me in that way. You know, I got a different perspective and, and everything because you know I knew that you know being with her, it was being in the family right off the bat. So um, that was that was definitely a big change. Now that you know, I was from 2011 to 2013-ish. I was kind of just kind of going along with it and and seeing kind of figuring out what I was going to do. But then once I started with her, um, it was everything got a little more serious because you know there's 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 plans now for the future and there's you know and it's kind of hard to make a plan when when you're getting you know minor league salary and stuff like that. So that's always been a grind up for me, but for her as well because it's hard to count on uh, on your boyfriend or your husband now that. That he gets, you know, less than two thousand dollars a month um, to try to live with them, or um, you know, get a house or build something. So, and so that's where, and you know, Winter Bowl has helped me out to get through it and and be able to, you know, get married and stuff like that. And so it's 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 been. I I think she's definitely grinding it out mentally and and. and Socially, probably been more than I have uh, because at the end of the day, I mean, I'm playing the game and I'm having fun and I don't need much to live with, you know, but 
she's the one that's got to get all the serious stuff and make sure, you know, the little boys, everything, you know, our son is okay and, and we got everything we need, play schools, food and all that stuff. So um, she gets the, the hard the hard grind in a way, the real, the real life grind. And when you talk about those finances, Jorge, and it's pretty clear that you guys do not get paid a lot uh, when, at, at any level in the minor league system. How much does that weigh on you during the affiliated ball season when it comes to the finances? I mean, it's to be honest, it is it is tough. You know, you get it hurts your pride in a way because you know I mean you're 28 years old and you're still you know you can't have a house, you can't have your wife to not work or or, or to have to sit you know sit back and just concentrate on your on your son and stuff like that. So it kind of hurts your pride a little bit, but um, then you you just got to be, you just realize that, you know, that, that's your dream and you made that decision and, and there's nothing you can do about it, you know, but but to play better in a way, you know, to try to make it or, or like I said, Wonder Bowl is the one that kind of kept me going in a way because I have a little bit, a little bit there to, to, to get by and, and not to leave paycheck by paycheck, which, we wouldn't be a very good life living paycheck by paycheck with getting the money that we're getting right now. So um, it is it is it is tough because you know it hurts your manhood. That's for sure. Especially now that I'm married and last couple of years, like you said, I've been engaged and stuff. So definitely hurts the manhood a little bit. But I mean, it's no secret. You know, you got to you talk to I talked to her from the beginning and said this is what's gonna be. And obviously, it gets harder when that it actually was going on, but uh, you in a way kind of prepare yourself and her, and you just got to grind it out, and I think she's done a very, very good job with it, and, and you know, I mean, the and, and I, my son is all about baseball now, so I think he's been okay with it, too. He's always trying to be in the ballpark and stuff like that, so um, we're trying to make the, mess, the, uh, the best out of it, and this is, this is going to be my last year uh, before free agency. So hopefully free agency will make us uh, better money and, and, and better opportunities and we can start living a little better now with the normal life in a way. Yeah, you, you talk about that, Jorge. And from an outsider's perspective, you have people that see you, a professional ball player, and of course every kid that has played this game at a high level wants to go pro. And they think that you have this, you know, unbeatable position, and everything's great. And you live this glamorous life. Do you, do you? How often do you think about or attempting to articulate to people that think it's this glamorous life that you know what? There are some things behind the scenes that I don't think you realize are going on. Yeah, I mean, there's only there's very few people that live like that, you know, and that's that's only I would say about maybe thirty a year that are that live like that, which are the first rounders. Those 30 guys are the ones that live with the uh, privileges. They have their million dollars in their bank accounts and and stuff like that. But everyone else, man, everyone else, it's it's a grind because even the 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 top, you know, like from the fifth from the third round and down, they if you get two hundred thousand dollars signing bonus after taxes, you're only getting about you know maybe a hundred and twenty ish and before you know it, you know, you, you, you buy a car, you buy this, blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, you only got thirty, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 in your bank account. And and getting four hundred and the first year, you're only making, your paychecks are about four fifty every two weeks. And, and that's not enough for rent. That's not enough for food and stuff. So you got to get out of your own money. Next thing you know, you're, you know, two, three, two, three years later, before you realize you, you're back to just, living like everyone else, you know, so everyone else, meaning you just kind of grind it out and, and, and have enough money to pay, pay rent and, and get some food. So it's not really that, you know, privileges life in a way. I mean, you, we are playing a game or whatever, but at the same time, we are humans, you know, we do have families, we do have uh, needs or we do want privileges or, um, extra stuff like, you know, oh, I kind of want to take a trip over here or I want to buy um, some expensive phone, expensive headphones or whatever. So um, all that stuff, it's kind of something that we can't do 
the first couple years or even, you know, even then, and even now and then in a way. So cause if you spend, you know, think about this, if I want to buy some beats, they're $400 and my paycheck is $800. I mean, that goes half of my paycheck. So is it really worth it? You know what I'm saying? So you got to look at that stuff because um, it is what it is. And, and that's just the grind. So it's not really, we don't have that many privileges. Like everyone sees it money-wise. But people are going to say, yeah, it's a game or whatever. So you play a game. And it's like, yeah, so that is true. We do play a game. We are following our dreams. But it's but we don't have the the finance freedom that uh, maybe McDonald's uh, employee has. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the McDonald's employee makes more money than us. Uh, they might have, they have more finance freedom than us or people like me that uh, that I graduated, I mean, I could have a, a normal job where where I'm getting, you know, $50,000, uh, $70,000 a year, and that's way more than the $10,000 a year I make being in the, in the minor league system. So um, it, it's tough to, 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 to have people understand that, but um, obviously they have this image of the first-rounders or – the big leaders, which, you know, they do have, I mean, that is a big difference from them to us. And um, so it's, it's kind of hard to have people understand that, but, uh, but it is a game at the end of the day. It is a game and, 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 and not everybody gets this opportunity to play this professionally. And Jorge, how odd is it and how peculiar is it now that you're in this Las Vegas 51 clubhouse, you've got Maybe plenty of guys on maybe the New York Mets 40-man roster that are making you know uh, more money than they were probably previously. You've got guys maybe on big league contracts that have guaranteed money. You've got a fair share of minor league free agents that might be making anywhere from ten to fifteen thousand dollars a month, and then you've got other guys that are in your situation that might be in their second to last or last year their entry level contracts, still making pretty much the, the minimum for that level. Can you feel the differences in the clubhouse? Does that stuff, you know, make itself known at times? Yeah, I mean, that's a, you could tell. I think it's only, if you think about it, I think out of the 25, I think there's only not even 10. There's got to be like five to seven guys that make the, the minor league um, salary here. So you can kind of see it in the way people go about, you know, money-wise, you know what I'm saying? the clubhouse tips and all of that. I mean, you can tell the difference between a guy that my $5 clubhouse tip besides the other guy, $30 clubhouse tip. So you can tell this guy makes <laughs> a, a lot better money than, than, than me, that he's either a free agent or my major league contract, like you said. And, um, but I think they have, a, we, we baseball players, most of us have gone to, I mean, I, I would say maybe all of us, you know, there's not, there's not many players that go, straight from draft day to to the big leagues besides maybe a few, you know. Uh so all of, most of us like understand that grind and 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 they always try to help each other. That's something that I've always admired about baseball players is that we all we all admire um each other's grind. So let's say Desmond Jennings, uh, we went out uh, on the day off and Desmond Jennings picked up everything. Well, you know what I'm saying? So so none of us have to pay anything. I mean, he is making 3.3 this year, so I think he's doing all right. <laughs> um, so, you know, little things like that, it's more over here now, especially because, you know, like you said, there's more people in the 40, man. I mean, um, Paul Sewell was talking to me and he was telling me the story, and I thought it was it's just crazy, you know what I'm saying? But to think about um, how bad you can go into a literally being more than okay. Um, he he got the call up and he, him and his fiance were thinking about buying a house. They actually have a house here in Vegas that they wanted to buy this off season. Uh, and they were thinking about buying it and everything. And then he gets the call up and he goes from making $10,000. Now he's going to make, uh, well, he was going to make $92,000 in five months, but now he's back in the big league, so he's going to make more. Um, so you, you just, you know what I'm saying, in a matter of weeks, your life completely changes. It's like, now I can actually give a bigger down payment on the house and and live even better. 
you know what I'm saying? And they were all because just the one week that I spent in the big leagues, you know, now he's making second year 40 man money and, and his life completely changes and it, and it's good. You know, it's, it, it, it actually motivates you to, to see someone like Paul or, or, or Bradford or, or TJ that, that we all sign for a thousand bucks that, that, you know, that if you just do it in a way that you get it, you get the job done. Next thing you know, you're one of them. You know what I'm saying? You're one of them. You're not a thousand bucks anymore. And you're getting your, 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 I mean, Paul, Paul, I think made like $16,000 in one week, the week that he was in the big leagues. And, um, plus obviously the 40, the 40 minute money that he's going to make. But, um, it's just crazy to see how big your life changes. And, and, but at the same time, it's good to see that guys like that make it, you know what I'm saying? Because that's a different ground beside, between the the guys that sign for half a mil, $200,000, $100,000, to the guys that sign from, you know, $50,000 or, or, or $1,000 signs. Because, you know, I mean, I'm pretty sure that you probably figured out that my signing bonus is way gone, you know? <laughs> After taxes, I got like $800, so. That's way gone, and and it's it's but there's little things, the stuff that you know people maybe don't see in a way, and and but it's just something that we we live by it, and 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 here in AAA, like you said, it's a little different because all you know, the money is around, but um, you can tell by even the the way people dress and stuff, you know. So um, it's 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 different, but but um, but it's good over here. At least you see in that. You know what I'm saying? At least you're seeing guys with the free agent money. You're seeing guys with the big league contract. You're seeing guys going up uh, 40 men and all that stuff. So you see more progress in a way. And, and you can you can motivate yourself or drive yourself to, to be one of them and, and not just being in double A or, or high A where everybody else is getting the $500 every paycheck and you just grind it out and it's kind of miserable in a way. It, and but I'm um, so I guess it becomes more real when you see you know people literally around you that are finally experiencing the payoff of six to eight years in the minors, where suddenly it becomes a, a reality. Like these things could happen when at double and below, it's almost a a fantasy because you never really see anyone experience that. But now with triple A, you're seeing it firsthand. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little more. It's a little more. Um, how do you say motivated in a way? You know, to know that, that, uh, I mean, you think about it, it's like, okay, so right now I'm living with, with, you know, about $1,600 a month. And so far, I mean, I mean, I don't have any luxuries or anything like that, but I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm eating, I'm paying my rent or whatever. And I might not be saving money, but it's there. And, uh, now, now try to multiply, uh, you know, multiply that by five, six, more times you're gonna get that money. Now you're gonna make ten thousand, twelve thousand dollars. Um, so you're gonna live pretty good. If you can live with six hundred dollars, you can live with ten thousand dollars pretty good, and maybe even have more luxuries than you can imagine. And, and so you see that not around, like you said, and and it's definitely um, definitely helpful to to be able to see that around and and, and know that, that that you can have a family, you can have a life. Um, being in the minor leagues or pushing up to get to the big leagues. And Jorge, I want to talk a little bit about winter ball. I know you talked about the finances are better and that has made that transition back to affiliated ball during the summers a little bit easier to take. But I want to talk a little bit about maybe the meaning of games. I think it's no secret in, in, in the minor league world, the, the names can get maybe a little monotonous where you know a game in April feels just the same as a game in August, and the the intensity doesn't really ramp up at all unless you're in the postseason. But with winter ball, it seems like every game matters. There's you know tens of thousands of people at these games. Is it more gratifying to play winter ball, feeling like the game matters more than maybe a regular season game in the minors would? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, and that's one of the main reasons why I still do it. Um, well, I mean, I do it obviously. Finances is the first one, but um, that that that's the main one where I do it. You know, it's fun. I mean, I have a I have a great time, and 
sometimes when you play minor league baseball, it's kind of like you kind of lose the 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 love for the game. I would say in a way because there's so many games that people are just that you kind of almost catch yourself going through the motions. Or let's say you hit a walk off head in the minor leagues, and, and like last night, Rutherford gets a walk off head, and you celebrate. But it's just okay, cool. Well, well now, you know, we got 120 more to go. But this game doesn't matter that much. So you know, it's kind of like it's celebration, but it's not quite that celebration. Now in in, in Winter Bowl, where you're only playing 60 games, 65 games, you know that if you have a bad week. It might be tough to come back from that, especially at the, uh, the league where it's only eight teams and, and everybody's beating each other. So um, every game matters. Um, you get, like you said, ten thousands of people, and, and and there's just a lot of money involved. You know what I'm saying? I mean, those guys. I think there was a uh, somebody. There was a rumor going around last year that, uh, especially in my team, Mexicali, that for every time that you may that the the stadium gets full, which is seventeen thousand people. Um, the revenue it's about one point one point five million dollars with beer, with everything that they sell, take the prize and everything. So that's just one day, you know what I'm saying? So it, there's a lot of money going around over there, and and all that you can see that you can feel that um, the energy of the people and. And the pressure that the front office and the owner and the manager put put on you and they put on themselves and um, that makes it fun, you know. what I'm saying everybody knows that the whole teams know that and and it makes it, it makes it a lot of fun and and that's the biggest difference to to minor league baseball, which you know pretty much is like you said postseason or uh, because when I you know when we won it in, in 2014 in Binghamton, it was you know pretty similar to that. I mean. Well, at least just the last game because that was the only game that people went to watch. But um, but inside, like inside the field, the energy was pretty pretty high, just like if it was in the, in Winter Bowl to to try to make that run. And so that 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 does help a lot in in, in just to play for for a purpose in a way. It, it it brings you back to just playing the game and trying to win the game. You know, you're not worried too much about your stats or you got to hit here, here, blah, blah, blah. You just got to help your team win. And, and uh, sometimes we forget that, and that's what makes it fun over there. Yeah, and how strange is it to go from, I mean, and we can use your last offseason as an example. You go to Mexico, you, you win you win the Winter League, the Mexican Winter League Championship. You go to the Caribbean Series, and now you come back, and it's back in affiliated ball. And I'm sure there have been some big crowds you guys have played in front of. But April, notoriously a pretty down month when it comes to attendance and intensity. Is that a weird transition to go from like the pinnacle of pro ball in Mexico and the, that intensity to now being back into the the quiet nature of early season minor league baseball? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a huge difference. I mean, this year it was kind of, like you said, we won the whole thing and we went to the Caribbean Tears. Just that atmosphere was crazy. And you come to, you know, get to big league screen training. And, um, and that one's, you know, it's a pretty good atmosphere as well because you're still, you know, you're still playing with us. You know what I'm saying? People like us that we still got to uh, try to make people look at us and stuff like that. But, um, and then, and then you had the baseball classic, which it was, you know, what I'm saying it was a crazy atmosphere. So it was like great atmosphere up until like March 14, and then pulling you back to reality with, you know, minor league spring training and then the minor league season, and you're just like, okay, that it's definitely the grind again, where you got to play 140 games and none of these games matter right now. Uh, winning wise and it's just development and stuff like that. So, you know, sometimes, you, uh, like I've hit, I've hit a couple of home runs here and inside, like I'm getting excited. Next thing you know, I look around and it was just like, okay, dude, it's just, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And it was just like, you know, kind of, it kind of <laughs> hit a little bit. So, um, but it's always, I've always try to keep that passion as much as I can. Um, you know what I'm saying? Because that's that's just the game, and, and that's how I like to play it. But 
uh, it is hard to maintain it as much as you do in postseason or in uh, uh, winter ball. You know, it's one thing, Jorge, to have guys that you're, you're somewhat acquaintance with make it up to the big leagues, but it's another thing to have, as you mentioned, close friends, Paul Seawald uh, uh, being one of them, to get that taste of the big leagues. How have your interactions been with, since he's come back, and, and how has that really given you more inspiration to to make that big leap? Yeah, I mean, I think the, I mean, the biggest relationship that I have one of my good friends is obviously is TJ. You know, we've been roommates all the time, and um, so he he came back for a few weeks. Uh, no, I think it was like a few days, not even a week. And um, and you you just get to talk to him, and then you just get to realize that they're the same players. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're not they're not much better. They're not you know they're the same players that you played the last couple of years, and they made it. You know what I'm saying? Same thing with Paul. It's like, you know, he came down and I was like, well, maybe I haven't caught him in a couple of years. He's been in AAA. He's the same player that he was over there in Binghamton when he had that great season as a closer. And, you know, it's just, it makes you realize that sometimes you feel like the big leagues are so far away, but at the same time, it's like they're not. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's just the fact of being at the right time and at the right place. If you just play the same way, sometimes we think about, oh, you got to do this better, or they do. you compare yourself to the to the superstars, and you know sometimes you, I mean, there's only a few of them there, and and then you realize that you know you see the TJs and 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 like the Paul Seawold or you know people that 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 grinded out and 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 just put up numbers, you know, and they put up pretty good numbers and. And then you get the chance, you can earn that spot. So um, that, that that was pretty cool to see, like you said, to have TJ and Paul come down and everything. So uh, that was something that uh, it was fun to see and, and, and it was inspirational to see and talk to them to realize that, you know, you could definitely be there if you just do the right thing and keep doing what you've been doing. Hori, just to let everybody know, we're recording this on May 2nd, and right now you're with the 51s. You are the primary catcher for this team. Is this the closest you felt like you are to the big leagues? Um, it, it is. And if you think about it, yes. But at the same time, it's like it's like that. And, it, and AAA is a big, big thing where you're so close, but yet so far. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and it, it is true if you think about it because – you could be like, no, I'm the main catcher here at AAA. Uh, if I do well, I can put some pressure on them back up there. You know what I'm saying? But then you think about it, you're like, well, there's three guys up there. So that means there's got to be at least two guys to go down somehow or get traded or whatever. And then and then that's you. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like you think about it, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm close. But at the same time, I'm kind of not that close. Uh, but it's good to have this opportunity right now, man. It's just good to be able to play every day at this level. And like I said, just realize that, you know, I mean, this level has been so, so far, I guess, in a way, because I've been stuck in Binghamton for four years that now that I can play every day here, I realize that, you know, I mean, there's not much difference and, and I can do this. So, um, it's a good, good opportunity that, but I'm hoping to 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 take advantage of and 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 keep put keep putting some some good numbers you know uh, offensively and behind the plate. Is it difficult not to spend a lot of time focusing on what's going on at the big league level? I think at AAA, more so than any other level, you're, you're really focused on what's unfolding with that with the big league club. Have you found it hard to maybe stay away from focusing on what's going on there? I think I think more than anything, it's not like like you. I wouldn't say it's hard, because in a way you just kind of know where you are at. So let's say you're watching the Mets game. There's a three hour difference. So by the time we come, we're done with VP. Um, the games, the Mets game is usually on, and we still got a few hours to the game. You know, so like the other day when when Noah, you know, got hurt with the lat train. Um, you know, you knew something was going to happen, you know, because you've seen that, and it is, you know, in the first inning, they call Seagull away from the bullpen. It's like, hey, you, you're gone. So um, 
So you're looking for stuff like that where where you can be like, okay, maybe, you know, this guy went down or this guy, you know, it's not doing well or whatever. So you could do something, put extra pressure. So I think more than anything, you can um, you can look at that stuff and, and maybe use it as a, as a drive, as an extra motivation. But one thing that, you know, it does get hard is like when someone goes down, and then if not you the game called up, then then you're like, okay, well, what's going on? And that's where it gets a little harder here in AAA. Um, that you know, when someone goes down or they need some some different, uh, and you're not getting the call, you're not getting the the the, the talk or whatever. Um, then then that's when you need to stop focusing on that and just kind of play the game. So um, it's a little different in that in that in that case over here. Have you ever? Uh, fantasize about how that talk would go, that one where you're told you are going to the big leagues? More than anything, just the call that I would make to my dad. Uh, that's the one that I really, you know, I've I played it over and over in my head and I've dreamt about it for, for, for years and come. Um, that That's the one call that, that, that I've over-fantasized uh, more than the actual manager telling me that I made it or that I get a phone call that I make it or whatever. So, um, I think the, the call to my parents would be the most um, emotional one out of, you know, gaining from from the big league from from the manager. Jorge, when we when you were in Binghamton last, remember we talked about when you were you know uh, asked to join the Mexican team for the World Baseball Classic, you considered that uh, as high an honor as a possible appearance in the in the major leagues. How did your father respond to? seeing you represent your home country at the World Baseball Classic? Oh, man, my, my my family, my dad and my mom were like, you know, they were just like, they felt like, what's that saying they say? Like a turkey with the big chest up, you know? <laughs> and they were just, you know, they were just talking me up and telling everybody. And now with social media, it's like, you can let your whole family know by just posting a picture. So you should have seen my dad and my mom on social media during that time, man. It was... um. And they got to, and they made the trip. You know what I'm saying? They said we're not missing this, so they made the trip with me, and they were able to, you know, experience that with me. And, and like I said, um, for me, that was kind of as close as I'm going to get to the big leagues, or as close as I can get to the big leagues, especially with the competition that we were playing, the group that we had, and everything. So um, I think that was uh, that was one of the experiences that I won't forget. And and I'm pretty sure my parents won't forget either. So that was very, like I said, that was very satisfying to see that that I that that even if I don't make it to the big leagues, I think they can. If they just think about that experience, I don't think I I completely feel like a like a failure. You know what I'm saying? If I can't make it to the league, but that that's how close I was to to making it because uh, I could see it in just their face, and I could just see it um, as close as exactly what I imagined that they would be if I make it to the big leagues. Jorge, there are a lot of guys that think that when they start their pro career, the goal of getting to the big leagues is for themselves. And, and as the years go on and they climb the ladder and, and they see all the people that have supported them over that time, it almost becomes like they're doing it for themselves and the people that have supported them. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I did it from, I mean, that was one of the main reasons why we moved to the States. You know what I'm saying? You move to the States in Mexico. In Mexico, you move to the States, if you're a baseball player, is to not go the way that I did. It's because I don't want to belong to any team in Mexico professionally. Because then they just play with you, and it's just bad politics over there. And and that's why I wanted to do before 16. Because once you're 16, they can draft you, or they can, you know, they can sign you over there. Um and 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 all that stuff, you know, you go back to all that stuff, all that grind, and that my parents did, that my brother, and 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 now you know my wife, and all that stuff that she's been with me for for the past four years. That it hasn't been, you know, as long as my parents, but but still, like they haven't been like very easy years. There's still a big grind, and and now there's you know there's people that you want to make it for, and 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 you know that. You know, like I said, the whole Paul Seawall stuff. That in one week, I mean, your whole life changes, and 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 your whole family just, you know, just 
gets to experience that. So um, it's definitely a lot more than just me uh, that I want to make it for. And Jorge, I just have a few more for you. And these are questions we've asked everybody. Um, the one would be, what would you compare minor league baseball to? And I'll give you a few examples. We talked to Jace Boyd. He compared it to being in a zoo where the players are the animals and everyone can, can look from the stands and take pictures and, and yell and scream. Kyle Johnson compared it to a ladder where you're, you're climbing up one rung at a time, but it, it gets more difficult the higher you go. So if you could compare minor league baseball to anything, what would you compare it to? <laughs> you compare me to those two, huh? <laughs> those two got some crazy answers. Um, let's see, what can I compare it to? It's got to be something where where you can be like you so like that hole that hole you so close but yet so far it's kind of it's kind of what I would compare it to. So oh man, I can't even I can't think of anything like that. But sometimes like uh, like I, I like that whole zoo thing because maybe everybody's so so like they they come watch you and they see you like you're this almost like, I want to say, like an idol in a way. And it's like he's got it made or they got it made or whatever. That's the whole view that the, most of the public has on, on baseball players and stuff. And how, and it's not even close to that, you know. So if you think about it, you know, you, you go to the zoo and all those animals are there to watch and they look okay, but at the same time, they're not in their habitat. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're, they're not as happy as they could be or they're not as natural as they could be if they were in their own stuff so um i like that from boyd this is literally <laughs> the first time i've ever agreed with boyd you know, <laughs> boyd is, <laughs> but it's a good way to put it because um you just you there's there's different perspectives that you have from the inside as as there, there is from the outside oh, i want to go back to your first sort of viewpoint of it something that holds you close but keeps you far away what do you mean by that almost like um someone you're hoping to befriend but they make it very difficult to befriend along those lines yeah yeah i mean something like that just because it's like it's like it's something that that, that it's a game that it's that it's uh something that you love something that uh, that other people see as as, as you having fun but at the same time like this is probably the hardest thing that I would ever have to do, you know, being in the minor leagues um, with that much money and, and with the 140 games, the travel, I mean, um, being able to 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 have, you know, to, the life that you live at night uh, the, where you everybody else, you know, getting up early, going to work, and, you know, you, you're, you're getting up at 10, 11 every day because, you know, you get home by like 12, 1 o'clock and, um stuff like that i mean a lot of things that you know they go out out of the minor league and the big league life where you might not see and and all that stuff it's 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 a lot different from 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 the normal real life and and it gets difficult you know it gets difficult and and but at the same time you know you're so close and 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 it is the dream so um i think that's why it's so comparable to just being you know, so close to you so far. And Jorge, I got one more. I'll leave you with the last words here. And the whole point of the podcast is really to give people a look into what the life uh, that you guys lead, what it involves and, and what goes on. So the final question, you can put in any words you like, but what would you want people to know about the minor league life that they might not know about? I think it's, it's, it's um, before... I would say before anybody stops, I mean, start saying that that it is that it is a game that for it is a game, but for us, this is our job, and and it comes with sacrifices that maybe they they won't even think about. And I'm not talking about you know being away from family because everybody knows that, but I'm talking about like the stuff that I just told you, like you know the the bus trips where. I mean, think about catching nine innings and then you get a six, seven hour bus trip where, you know, then you try to get out of that bus and, you know, your knees, your calves, your your lower back and your shoulder or whatever, it's just really sore and you got to do it the next day. So, um, 
physically, uh, mentally, it is it is very draining, very draining, and and and, and this, it takes a lot more than just being talented and being you know uh, privileged of, of playing this game, and and I think that's something that people maybe just not know that our lifestyle uh, it's a little different. Um, it's a it's a night nightlife in a way. You know, we play, we work at night, we play at night, we sleep, you know, till you got to sleep through recuperate from all that stuff. So you're sleeping till 10 or 11. And, and, and if you look at it in a real life um, point of view, if you slip into 10 or 11, you know, you're, you're a lazy person that it's not doing anything for their life. You know what I'm saying? And that's just, that's just how it is. And so sometimes people just not, not, not see that in a way. And 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 they just get caught up in the fact that this is a game and 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 but this is our job and and it's got to sacrifice a lot more than you even think and there's always new ones coming up you know many new pains and and this and that and investments that you got to make from yourself and the, the older you get and stuff like that so um, you know you got the the nutrition you got the the gym you got all that stuff that you got to maintain. Uh, in order to 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 keep performing at this level and 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 all that stuff that I think it gets overlooked and and people don't really think about all that stuff that not only minor leaguers but you know big leaguers are doing it they're just doing it with a little more luxury on their on their shoes. Jorge, I really appreciate everything you had to share, and I I think people will appreciate you know hearing it. I wish you all the best of luck. Appreciate that, Timmy. Anytime you know, you know this, and uh, it's always good to talk to you. Our gratitude goes to Jorge Carrillo for taking the time to share his story. Beyond the Slash Line is produced and hosted by me, Tim Hyman. Our graphics were created by the very talented Mike Pasadisi. Music for this podcast comes from Ben Sound. If you're looking for royalty-free music, visit bensound.com. He has a full collection to pick from. Follow me on Twitter at Tim Hyman and follow the podcast at Beyond the SL. Head over to the iTunes store and subscribe to Beyond the Slash Line to get new episodes as soon as they're available. Or stop by my website, timhyman.com, to find the entire series. Thanks for listening. This has been Beyond the Slash Line.